Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello again, and welcome to another podcast. Uh, Mike Williams here, and today we're going to call it um, 40 Days and 40 Nights, a little play on the Bible. I think you'll get my drift as we go along, but Listen, before we start, I got a little bit of a cold, so if I sound funny, that's why. And if I cough in your ear, I'll do my very best to have the producers uh, edit that out. So be forewarned. I'm just kidding. Listen, uh, April's coming to a close here. Today is the last trading day of the month of April. Can you imagine that? Four months of 2016 is already gone. Jeez, I feel like I'm getting old. Not really. I'm going to keep telling myself. I have, a, I have a way of telling people. I am celebrating my 25th anniversary of my 30th birthday. That's what I'm doing. I'm celebrating my 25th anniversary of my 30th birthday. So enough about me. Back to the markets and the world at large. As April comes to an end, the flood of earnings data continued to roll in, swamping anyone who prefers to think long term. They last about 40 days and 40 nights, but this week and next are the biggest weeks, with a lot more to come. In recent years, as fears from 08 and 09 are still deeply felt, these quarterly events have become so internally volatile that we suggest one must stand back, let the carnage unfold, and then look to take advantage of it as the dust settles over in the ensuing few weeks after the flood. And what kind of carnage do I mean? Well, look, it is now a daily occurrence that one can look at the opening bell and see dozens of stocks up or down double digits, some significant. Uh, it is becoming, uh, shall I say, a very negative feeling when I read overnight reports that literally the headline says something like this. Earnings just released. XYZ misses by two cents. Stock down 16.9%. Now, let me tell you something. First of all, the headline just came out. There is no way, no way, human beings were able to get the headline, call their brokers, turn on their computers, open their online account, or any of the above in the moments that it took to first write the headline and then tell you the stock is already down 16.9%. It's simply impossible. Those are robots. That's high-frequency trading at your service. So if you want to get upset with someone about volatility around earnings, it's not the market. It's the guys taking advantage of you. As soon as the feds finally figure out what high-frequency trading is all about, they will hopefully cut it off and maybe even put some of them in jail because they're doing more harm to the market than anything that happened in 2008 and 9. I promise you. It may take years for them to figure it out, but I'm telling you they are. 
So look, witnessing market valuations get reduced by 10 and 15% overnight for companies that miss by a penny or two is just ludicrous, okay? But you got to put up with it. Judging your long-term investment plan on 90-day results is why the sale of antacids has exploded. Speaking of antacids, where is my extra-large bottle of fruit-flavored Tums? I usually have a few. So listen, I'm, I'm hoping for a, a pause that refreshes, but you know what? Pauses that refresh don't happen anymore. They've turned into pauses that terrify. Starting last week, we suggested we might want to entertain the idea that the earnings flood will create a bit of a barrier and a pause. Listen, if the market had a heartbeat and you could actually hear it, it would race to heart attack levels on a one-day drop of 200 points. Three days of that, and we'd be in the emergency room. A couple of weeks, and I assure you the crowd's in the ICU on a Vicodin drip. On bad days, the headlines echo late into the evening, and advisors and managers check their overnight markets to, quote, know what to do tomorrow, unquote. The thought process suggesting it is perfectly normal for markets to move up and down has completely left the building with Elvis in tow. Pauses that refresh quickly turn into pauses that terrify, driving sellers of equities to bonds in a matter of days as the, quote, outlook remains cloudy. I have some news for you. The outlook is always cloudy. That's why they call it the future. So listen, GDP we talked about in the last podcast, that was a crappy number. Not much to say other than it was indeed paltry. You terrify enough people for long enough and they will rein in activity. We talked about it. They will act weak. We can be assured several shopping trips were put on hold during the constant media coverage of the, quote, worst start of the year in 80 years for the entire first half of Q1. What did we expect GDP to look like? I wonder if many of us realize we're getting sort of a repetitive negative feedback loop going now. You tell everyone for years that this is the weakest recovery ever, and guess what? They will act weak. Get that. It will take place. Let's think about this tepid recovery and this below-trend GDP growth we've had for the last eight years. Let's think about it a little differently. The main driver of our economy for the last decade has been the smallest generation of our time. A massive new wave of people is just beginning to show up. We call it the 1982 playbook. Few will believe it until it becomes overwhelmingly obvious, but that's how demographics work, and it's coming. Generation Y is 86 million strong, and they will grow up. They will leave home. They will get a job. They will build companies, or they'll get better at managing the ones we've already got. They'll buy stuff. They'll marry. They'll have kids, and they'll build their own households. And for those of us with extended long-term planning needs going decades into the future, the good news is this. Generation Z is right behind Generation Y, 
and they're birthing at nearly the same rate as Generation Y did. In essence, the data says we have two massive and powerful generations in our economic pipeline, even as we fret over the current tepid recovery. Listen, people make markets fear dampens recoveries. Fear and trepidation about our future is now a national pastime. We dredge it up over and over again all day long. If you step far enough back, you're going to realize doom is everywhere. I laugh today when I see the daily required headline about some new black swan event. Heck, we don't even remember what the term black swan got to start from. We don't remember what it meant. In a nutshell, the book was simple. A black swan event is a total surprise, an outlier, something no one sees coming. So you can chuckle when everybody talks about what the next black swan event will be. Indeed, the fact that we're talking about it makes it the fact that it's not a black swan. So this is the bigger issue. This is the bigger issue about this, quote, meek recovery, tepid recovery, whatever you want, below trend. Pick whatever words you want. It's not likely a mistake or a coincidence that this weakest recovery ever has been dynamically affected by extraordinary intrusion at the government level. You know the joke. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Guess what? The government is in a terrible investment plan. You soak away growth capital via massive taxes at all levels, personal and corporate. By the way, they're at records. New fees everywhere you look to pay for some new government service. Add Obamacare nightmares and simply ridiculous numbers of regulatory burdens and guidelines, all with a cost. And you get a bad recovery. We did this to our own economy, and now it's time to fix it. There's no outside monster lurking in the shadows to get us. We're the monster. The fiscal processes capping the ability for the economy to spread its wings are the monster, and it's hurting everyone listening and everyone who's a consumer and everyone who wants to build a life. Let's face the real deal. In this recovery period, we've seen a huge accumulation of public debt, a huge increase in regulatory burdens, Obamacare, Dodd-Frank. They're still trying to think of things to add to this crap. Generally high and rising tax rates. And such a high corporate tax now that we are the most expensive place on earth to do business. Sure, the government's got record revenues from us, but guess what? They're taking it from the recovery. There's only a hundred cents in a dollar. We've forgotten what we learned in the 80s under Reagan when the last huge generation entered the economic puzzle. Investment and taking risk demands a reward or the risk won't be taken. The rewards to risk-taking and the burdens of running a business and complying with increased regulatory mandates have depressed the economics animal spirits. No wonder we have a tepid recovery. 
This is not meant as a political statement, but one could easily argue that the government is slowly smothering the private sector. And yet, it's the private sector we rely on for building the economy. Massive risk aversion has held back entrepreneurship and risk-taking for years. We've explained for years in these notes that this recovery has not been tepid. It's been risk-averse. The good news, the next generational shift we're living through right now is going to change that. Just as we saw it in the late 70s and early 80s, the baton is being passed. It's already unfolding. Be prepared. It's going to be surprising. So thanks again. We hope this has helped. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Until we see you again on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.